0: And you try to ignore it, but the truth is, it hurts to see them fighting again. And you think to yourself, can't we all just get along? Have you ever been in a conversation where insults are thrown into the air like hand grenades? Once the grenade lands, it destroys everyone nearby, including the one who threw it. The Apostle Paul says something similar. Paul, the author of about a quarter of the New Testament, he writes, If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. This is the way so many people go through life, biting and devouring each other with their words and sometimes their actions. In our heart of hearts, I think that we, I think that we just want to get along but we can't seem to get there. Perhaps we don't know how to get there. We never grew up with real examples of what good relationships look like. Or perhaps we have some idea of how to get there, but we lack the motivation, the drive, the initiative. Maybe we're afraid that trying to get there to a place of harmony will only make things worse. So we continue to bite and devour each other with a snip here and a poke there. And over time, our relationships erode. Another strategy is conflict avoidance. Just ignore the people you don't like or ignore the conversations you don't want to have. But that's no solution for true community either. So we must watch out, my friends. We must, as I say to my daughter a dozen times a day, be careful. Be careful. Take caution. Otherwise, we will consume each other, and nothing will be left but regret. How's that for some encouraging words for the morning? The good news is that Jesus has something to say about all of this, and that something holds the potential to change everything. The good news is that Jesus has something to teach us about conflict, He wants to teach us the lost art of getting along. Now, in actuality, Jesus teaches us this art through his entire life, death, and resurrection. The four Gospels, which comprise almost half of the New Testament, they make up the curriculum that teach us how to get along. And more than that, how to really love another human being. But we can't very well read them all now. What we can do is we can continue reading Paul's letter to the Philippians. That's what we've been doing the last two weeks, and we continue it today. By doing so, we we get to see how Paul teaches a small church, how Paul teaches them to get along, according to the Jesus way of getting along. So that's what we'll do this morning. We're in week three of a series on Philippians, and we'll pick up where we left off last week in the letter, chapter 1, verse 27. My friends, you are loved by God. And this is what your loving God has to say to you this morning. Most important, most important, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this whether I come and see you or I'm absent and I hear about you. Do this so that you stand firm, united in one spirit and mind as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. That way, you won't be afraid of anything your enemies do. Your faithfulness and courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation, which is from God. God has generously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. You are having the same struggle that you saw me face and now hear that I'm still facing. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united, and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything. Don't, don't. Don't do anything for selfish purposes. But with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. This is the lost art of getting along, and it's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Paul drops a few hints in his letter to the Philippians that this is a church in conflict. Yes, it's a church that loves Jesus. It's a church that makes Paul thankful and joyful whenever he thinks of them. It's a church that Paul is confident will grow into a fruitful, mature tree. And yes, it's also a church in conflict. Apparently, being all those wonderful things does not exempt them from being a church that's having a hard time getting along at the present moment. As one preacher puts it, all marriages will have conflict, all families will have conflict, every company will have conflict, and every church will have conflict. If you want to find a church with no conflict, find a church with no people. Here are some of the hints Paul drops about the conflict that's happening in the Philippian church. Just a few. Chapter 1, verse 27, what we began with. Paul says, Live together, stand firm, united in one spirit and mind. I think Paul says this because he needed, because they needed to hear it, because they were divided. 2-3, the exhortation goes on. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility... Think of others as better than yourself. Again, I think Paul says this because they needed to hear it. And then comes 2.14. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Can we safely assume that grumbling and complaining had become a part of the culture of the church in Philippi? And finally, if there was any doubt about the fact of conflict in this small church, Paul singles out a specific case toward the end of the letter. Chapter 4, verse 2. Loved ones, I urge Eudea and I urge Syntyche to come to an agreement in the Lord. We don't know the specifics of what's going on between these two women, but Paul urges them to come to an agreement in the Lord. The point is not the, not the specifics. The point is that the church in Philippi, with all their love for Jesus and all the joy they bring to Paul... It's still a church that's going through some things, and that's, that's normal. But it's also something that can't go unchecked for long. Otherwise, the results would be disastrous. Same is true for conflict in any meaningful relationship. So for this reason, Paul's message is urgent. Paul knows he needs to remind them of Jesus' message about how to get along. It's not a new message. They've heard it before, but they need constant reminders. I think we do too, don't we? So Paul begins this section in chapter 1, verse 27, with the Greek word manas. Manas. It means only or most importantly. We get our prefix mano from it, you know, mano y mano, only, one. It's an abrupt transition, which has the effect Okay, now listen up. The one thing that I really need you to take away from from what I'm saying is this. Live together in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does it mean to what does it mean to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Some translations say conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel who talks like that these days? What does that mean? What comes to my mind is an experience I had on the basketball team in high school. We'd travel to other schools, and every time we did, my coach would say something like, remember that you represent Kokomo High School. Be proud of your school. Conduct yourself in a way that shows others what Kokomo High School is all about. In the same vein, Paul is communicating something similar. Remember that you belong to Jesus Christ. Be proud of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of him. Conduct yourselves in a way that shows others what Jesus is all about. Conduct yourselves in a way that's consistent with Jesus' message. Your public behavior must match up with the gospel of the king. Or as we said in our last sermon series, you must not only talk the talk, but you must also walk the walk. That, my friends, is how we get along. It's as simple and as difficult as that. It's as simple as that, because if we do just this one thing, according to Paul, if we pattern our life after the life of Jesus and his gospel, then we'll surely find a way to move forward through every conflict united in mission. Whether it's conflict in a significant relationship, conflict in a workplace, conflict in a church, if we focus on this one thing, the rest will fall into place. So let us live together, Heartland Community Church, in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Let's live together in a way that's consistent with the way Jesus lived, and our conflicts will take care of themselves. It's as simple as that. And it's as difficult as that too. As difficult as pattering our lives after the life of Jesus. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, spell this, out, spell this out most clearly. 2, 3, 4, remember that. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Here's how Jesus lived, and here's the answer to our question of how we can all get along. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility... Think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Seriously? (laughs) We'd all benefit, I think, from from writing out these two verses and placing it somewhere we look regularly. I'm game if anyone else is. Anyone else willing to write it out and do it with me? All right. All right, I got one. All right, so I'll, I'll do it with you. Let's do it together. How do you suppose it would change the dinner table conversation if right before you walked through the front door you reminded yourself of the way of Jesus? Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. How do you suppose it would change your participation in the board meeting if you walked in with these words on the front of your mind? Don't do anything for selfish purposes. But with humility, think of others and their opinions as better than your opinions. 2-3-4, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. My friends, may all who wish to live a life of harmony and peace with others soak ourselves in these words. These are words that describe the character of Jesus, and by by God's grace, they can describe our character more and more as well. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. This is the attitude of Jesus Christ, we're told in the next verse, verse 5. Paul tells us to adopt this very attitude of Christ. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Insofar as we develop this mindset This mind of Christ, this attitude. Insofar as we do this, we experience the tremendous benefits listed in our scripture passage. We are united in one spirit and mind. We struggle together side by side for the common good. We find encouragement in Christ, comfort in love, true fellowship in the Spirit. Who doesn't want these things? Who doesn't want these things for their marriage? for their friendships, for their relationships with their kids, united in one spirit and mind, encouragement, comfort. Who doesn't want these things for their their workplaces, for their church, united, struggling together, side by side for a common good, encouraged, comforted, love. We all want these things, right? But the challenge, the challenge is the ego. (laughs) In psychology terms, The challenge is called the self-serving bias. Any intro to psych people remember that term? I was talking to Tommy Rapp earlier uh, about that. It's self-serving bias. This default mode, it's the way we default to as human beings, it leads us to think more favorably of ourselves than others. It's a deeply embedded bias, and it's why 70% of people think they're above average do the math there, <laughs> 70% of people think they're above average on almost anything. We think, we think that we have the facts and everyone else just has opinions. We, we blow up our own achievements while we deflate the achievements of our competitors. In theological terms, the challenge is pride. Pride makes it impossible to ask for help, even when we need it. Pride makes it difficult to offer an apology and to receive an apology pride is close friends with insecurity making it difficult to receive advice and feedback in short pride views the world through the lens of me but all of this must go if we are to live in a manner worthy of christ's gospel If we are to learn the lost art of getting along, and more than that, if we're going to learn how to relate well to others, how to flourish in our relationships, how to experience true fellowship with others, then pride has to go. Something else must be put in its place. Pride has to go, and pride must be replaced by humility. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but in humility think of others as better than yourselves here's another way to put it it's not about me 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 it's not about him either <laughs> it's not about me friends it's as simple and as difficult as that now one thing that helps us considering is considering what's at stake. One thing that helps us develop the attitude of Christ to to combat pride with humility. One thing that helps us is considering what's at stake. That's one of the things the church in Philippi forgot. So Paul reminds them here, there's conflict in the church of Philippi, which is normal, but they're having a hard time getting through it because they've forgotten what's at stake. Friends, what's at stake is the mission of Jesus. What's at stake is the forward movement of the Jesus message. The mission is at stake. Their reason for existence. When we forget what's at stake, preferences and personalities take the place of kingdom priorities. A literal translation of the end of the verse 27, it sounds like this. Stand firm, united in one spirit and one soul, struggling side by side for the faith of the gospel. For the faith of the gospel. That's how some translations render it. It's the literal translation. For the faith of the gospel. I think he's talking about the mission of the church. For the faith of the gospel. For the spread of the faith of of the gospel, so that others have faith in the gospel. Do this so that the gospel is believable to you and to others. Do this for the mission of moving forward the Jesus message. Adopt the attitude of Christ Jesus. Live in humility. Live together in a manner worthy of the gospel. When we forget what's at stake, and we fail to do this, and we allow conflict to simmer in our relationships wherever they are, then the conflict gets hotter and hotter until it boils and overflows. And things get ugly when that happens. This happens in families and workplaces, schools and sports teams, and it happens in churches too. What's at stake? What's at stake in your family if you continue down the road of conflict? What's at stake in your workplace? If the culture of conflict remains unaddressed, what's at stake in your friendship if you both are gridlocked in your opinion of whose fault it was? What's at stake on the sports team if one person tries to get all the glory for themselves? And what's at stake in the church when we let preferences and and, and personalities take the place of kingdom priorities? Friends, let us consider what's at stake, and may that provide enough motivation, enough initiative to help us adopt the mindset of Christ. Now, how do we get there? How do we adopt the humble mindset of Christ? Let's say we're interested in having the mind of Christ, Say we're interested in a life in which conflict gets settled respectfully, our relationships flourish, and we experience koinonia, that great word for fellowship, sharing in the spirit, mutual love. Let's say we want that life. Say we're even willing to become humble to get it. Where do we start? Well, I've already mentioned a couple of these, but I think here's where we start. First, number one, we retrain our brains. Retrain your brain. Whenever you start to notice that your thoughts are straying toward the default mode, the mode that says it is about me, the mode that says my agenda is most important, my opinions are most worthy of attention, whenever you notice you slipping into that default mode, repeat this mantra. "It's It's It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Perhaps recite 2, 3, 4, Philippians 2, 3 to 4, having the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Number two, so first retrain your brain. Number two, focus on the one it is about. It's about God, my friends, and that's a good thing because God is good and God knows what's best for us. It's about life, is, it's not about me or you, it's about God. And this is how we can have the same mind, agreeing with each other, as Paul writes. I remember reading those words in high school, this idea of agreeing with each other, having the same mind, and thinking of my own experience in the church, my own experience reading the church history. We've not been doing a good job at that, have we? But here's how we have the same mind. It's not that it's not that person A adopts the opinions of person B who adopts the opinions of person C who adopts the opinions of person A, and now they still disagree, they just have different opinions. It's not, that's not what Paul is talking about. What Paul, the, the, the point, the only way we can have the same mind is if we focus on another object, not on our opinions, but on another object, and that object is God. God is the lead actor in the story of life. And by God's grace, we are the supporting cast. We get the privilege of playing our part for a very short time. So let's play it well by learning the script. The script is the drama of salvation that God is unfolding in the world. God is remaking the world in Jesus Christ, even as I speak. God is reconciling all things to Christ. God is bringing everything under the authority of Christ, as Chad read in the in the Hebrews passage. God is bringing all things under Christ's feet until every knee in heaven on earth and under the earth bends and every tongue confesses Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's this Jesus that it's all about, and Jesus shows us what what God is really like. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So number three, how do we get along? How do we become humble? We rearrange our lives. We reprioritize our lives. We reconsider our lives so that our life's single aim is furthering the mission of Jesus You don't have to become a preacher to do this. Consider where you already are, what you're already doing, and what you've already been given. And now, pray to God about these things. In humility, ask God to realign everything about your life according to God's good purposes. If you do this sincerely, realigning your priorities, rearranging your schedule. If you do this sincerely on a regular basis, God will show you the way, and God's Spirit will give you the strength to do what you thought you could never do, and that's how we get along. It's not three quick and easy steps, but there you have it. (laughs) Retrain your brain. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Focus on the one it is about, Jesus, in the gospel, and rearrange your life on furthering the mission of Jesus. What's at stake here is the quality of our relationships. What's at stake is the quality of our life together. What's at stake is the mission itself. Thankfully, Jesus has already gone before us, as we'll focus on next week. Jesus is our model for what this looks like. Jesus illustrates for us the beauty and goodness and joy of living this way. It's the joy of 2, 3, 4, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Don't do anything, my friends. Let's not do anything for selfish purposes. But with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Jesus did this, my friends, and because he did it, we experience all the joys of salvation. Now let us gratefully respond in kind for the sake of others, becoming humble like our Lord Jesus. Amen.